This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hey, listen, thank you so much for being here. We'll be wrapping up our summer uh, series, which is we've had people from our church, people outside our church, but I think everybody has been inside our church and they've been sharing. And so today, uh, wrapping it up is one of our elders, uh, Dr. Christopher Williams. If you don't really know him, he loves the Lord. He's been faithful in his journey with Jesus, him and his wife. Uh, we would, uh, if, if you really want to know, we're in this building because the Lord spoke to him to tell me to let's go to this building because I did not think we can afford or get this building when it was up for sale. I was looking at the building down on South Monroe where proof is now. Still a sweet spot, but this is better. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, so Dr. Christopher is just a man of God. He's uh, one of our elders for a long time, and, and I thank the Lord for him all the time because of his discernment and his wisdom and his love for the Lord. So I would love for us to give him a warm welcome. Dr. Christopher. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. So, as I've said before, it's always interesting when you have this opportunity to, to speak and, and God just, you know, he takes you on this path of all these different places you could possibly go. And it's like, okay, which one is it, Lord? <clears throat> so, before we pray, I'm just going to start briefly with the, the word and the verse that were the starting point. And so the word was humility, and the verse was John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Dear Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you have provided a way for us to hear from you and to know you. We pray as Psalm 119.18 says, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. There's so much that had to be left out of a message like this one, and yet even in the words that we sang this morning, you filled in the other parts of the puzzle that I knew I wasn't going to have time to finish. And so I'm grateful, O God, because you are the one who speaks what we need. We have the opportunity to hear and know your voice. And so, Lord, just take these words um, and the meditations of my heart, O God. Uh, You are my rock. You are my redeemer. And I thank you that you are that for um, my fellow members in Mosaic today. Everything for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, All right. So, it wouldn't be a message for me if you didn't first get some education and outreach. So humility, it's from the Latin, and there's a couple of different words there. Humilis, which means low. Humus, not hummus, though I might mispronounce it at least more than once tonight today, which refers to earth or soil, and humi, which means on the ground. So being a geologist and a gardener, there are a variety of different ways that God has always spoken to me. And my wife found this quote in a book she was reading, 
and it's actually from Thomas More's Utopia. While I do not espouse what I see to be a little bit of some arrogance within the comment, hopefully it will give you a bit of a taste of how I see the world and what, how God speaks to me through his creation. The scientific investigation of nature is not only a most enjoyable process, but also the best possible means of pleasing the creator. He has the normal reactions of an artist. Having put the marvelous system of the universe on show for human beings to look at, since no other species is capable of taking it in, he must prefer the type of person who examines it carefully and really admires his work to the type that just ignores it and, like the lower animals, remains quite unimpressed by the whole astonishing spectacle. Again, there are aspects of that that I, when my wife read it to me, I was like, wow, some of that sounds a little bit arrogant. <laughs> but in concept, just understand that God really does speak to me through things that I study. I'm a geologist by trade, and I do love what I do. Um, but in essence, it doesn't define me. At least I try not to let it. <clears throat> um, so many of us may be able to picture these concepts of low or on the ground in relation to humility, but what do earth and soil have to do with it? So humus, rather than hummus, um, why, what is it and why is it important? <laughs> Here's a basic definition from one of my favorite books. It's called Let It Rot. And it's actually Gardner's Guide to Composting. Um, so again, it's kind of one of those, wait, where is he going with this? <clears throat> um, the first time I saw this book title, um, I was really intrigued. And it was before God gave me the different revelations about rot and how important that is actually in our lives spiritually. So humus is insoluble organic matter from which degradable organic matter has been removed. Basically, there are things that are stable in the environment. That's what gets left. All the other things that aren't stable, those things get removed. So what's left is the humus. <laughs> so um, in the next slide, it says humus. In the natural world, and I'm right now going to use a word that is specifically out of forests, humus starts as duff. <clears throat> duff is all the organic debris that drops from trees so think of the leaves, think of the twigs, think of the branches, think of the trees that fall. But even more than that, you have to think about the understory trees, the shrubs, the ground covers. All of these things die. And no less than you have the castoffs from all the insects and animals that live and then also die there. And so these are all of the different components of organics that go into what we often just kind of think, oh, that's soil. Okay. So here's the big deal. <clears throat> we get to use a verb that's kind of similar to one we talked about last week. Decompose. To separate into constituent parts or elements. Remember the word elements. Or simpler compounds. <clears throat> Second definition of decompose is literally the word rot. So the process of decomposition takes water, oxygen, bacteria, a whole bunch of other things. But basically, as the materials break down, the unstable or the soluble components are removed, and what remains is the elemental components. So think the periodic table of elements. <clears throat> and when you think of unstable components being removed, think of washing, because things get washed out of 
the stuff that is movable. <coughs> so how does Duff become hummus? Well, in simple, it's in the diagram on the side. Stuff dies, ends up on the ground, it weathers and rots, it gets mixed and decomposed, and eventually, once all the other soluble stuff is gone, you're left with this insoluble residue called hummus. <clears throat> it was kind of funny for me as my wife, who's a musician, was looking over this. She's like, well, do you have a picture of hummus? And I was like, it's not really that simple. <laughs> it's not something you can readily see or identify easily, and it's not like you can just get a picture of a handful of it. <clears throat> and that's because it is spread throughout uh, the soil within a natural environment. Um, but basically, earthworms do a great job of transferring material from the top and down in, as well as other insects that live in the ground, and then they also die in the ground, and that's how they become part of the humus. Um, the other cool thing about humus is it's super stable. Because you're down to this elemental bits and pieces, um, it can last hundreds to thousands of years. Um, the best way I can describe humus is um, imagine super tightly kinked balls of like carpet or other things. And that's what it looks like under microscope. Um, so if we look at the next, we're now going to talk about humus and soil. <laughs> so um, this is another cool thing, humic acids and fulvic acids, they're not the same. They, there isn't like, it's not an element, it's not like, I'm sorry, it's not a mineral, it doesn't have an exact component. So they're each unique, hmm, interesting, parallels to our life which will come. So I'm not going to read these chemical components. But the key things you need to know are that that's a really big number of carbon and hydrogen in relation to everybody else. But the substance has an aromatic character. <clears throat> um, we won't go into benzene rings and why it's aromatic, but whatever. Just trust me, it's aromatic. And so humic and fulvic acids do really cool stuff. Most importantly, even though nitrogen you see is only 9 and 5 out of these, what, 300 and something <clears throat> molecules that can be there, the nitrogen component of humus is the type that is highly usable by plants. So why does that matter? Well, here's the really cool revelation about humus. It both improves soil structure by increasing the capacity for water retention. It's a really complicated chemistry of why. But it also then creates more space for oxygen. Well, why does oxygen matter in the soil? Well, if you have a reduced soil, most plants don't like to live there because most plants like oxygen around their roots. <clears throat> so even better then, because there's this space for oxygen, it improves the water drainage. Did you catch that? It increases water retention and water drainage. Does that make any sense? I'm sorry, I find that to be miraculous. How do you put these two things together? It just, it, just, it seems impossible. And again, we have a miraculous God, and he designs miraculous structures and systems. So here's a bonus, totally unrelated to the sermon today, but it's just a really cool revelation, because phosphorus is necessary for every, every living cell on the planet, because it's important to strengthen stability of the cell wall. Without it, they literally collapse. They can't, the cell just implodes, explodes, various options. Um, it's from the Greek phosphoros, which means light bearing, and in Latin, it also means morning star. So, fascinating. So humility. 
We're going to read a couple of, actually we're going to read several scriptures because that's just part of how um, I preach is actually trying to get more of the word into us. Um, so we're going to start with John 12, 1 to 8. I, I love that there was a bit of a reference to this in one of our songs this morning. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you, do, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. It was interesting as I was thinking about the scripture later in this chapter, which was kind of the essence. It was like, wow, Lord, here in the very beginning, you bring up these concepts of fragrance and perfume and aroma. <clears throat> and in this case, they're images of Jesus' death. And, you know, I, it's, um, I don't take lightly the resurrection of Jesus, but it's also fascinating that one of the most important things God keeps bringing up in our identity is his death and his resurrection. You need to have the both and, because if the self does not die, well, we'll get to that again when we read the second part of, from John 12. But uh, reading from Romans 6, 1 to 7, uh, Paul tells us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. And again, many of these concepts were in our worship songs this morning. I'm grateful for that. And then another one from Second Corinthians, uh, end of chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? So all this ties into, again, this is where you have to take yourself out of you and into me who studies the natural world. And this is just a huge revelation. It's like, okay... So humus is stripped to its elemental basics, and yet the rot and the stench are gone. These humic and fulvic acids are aromatic compounds, and similarly in our lives, it's the aroma and the miraculous work of Christ. Think of how can you retain water and drain better? Again, 
those make no sense. It's an oxymoron that those are even in the same sentence, and yet that substance does both things. <clears throat> and so, um, this work of Christ is possible when the flesh is dead, but it's only his work of humility that makes our humility possible. And so this is where, you know, it's like, okay, we've, we're talking about this concept of humility, but then we also have to talk about the realities of our sin and of death and the flesh. So in Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And then John 15, any of you who know me know that this is one of my favorite chapters. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when we think of humility, you know, I struggle sometimes also as a Christian. It's like we talk about things like, oh, I need to humble myself. That's good. That's right. How do I, in my sinful flesh, humble myself? I can't. <laughs> but I know the one who does that. And I can come available and yielded such that he can do those things. And so when we think of humility and humus, again, it's not something that we're doing. It's something that God is doing. I, and when we in worship, I had this picture. It's like, you know, we look at forests, we look at trees or a grassland, a prairie. We have all these things that are living there. And we think, oh, okay, oh, it's died, too bad. Well, that was only the beginning of the work. That thing that grew and did its life and then died it then eventually becomes this humus which creates good soil. And so we have this image that, oh, it's here, it's gone, it doesn't matter anymore now that it's dead. Well, no, that's the beginning. <laughs> that's not the end. There's more. <clears throat> and so that's where this next part of the scriptures become important. So now we'll go back to John 12 and read the portion that relates to where the other verse came from that I started with. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. <clears throat> These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So catch that about the scripture in verse 24. The grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, then it can bear much fruit. But if that grain of wheat doesn't die, it remains alone. And I was immediately drawn then back to uh, the parable of the seed and the sower. And um, another thing which struck me that I hadn't noticed before is that in each of the three books where this is talked about, the final verse talking about the yield and the produce, they're all from verse 8. <laughs> so Matthew 13, And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Mark 4, other seeds fell into the good soil, 
and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And Luke 8, other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So good soil, you know, from the geologist's side, I can just look at, oh, okay, the soil, it's broken down, rotting rock. It's rock that has made of all these different complicated minerals that's then broken down into its mineral components. Um, but mineral soil alone doesn't have the properties that create good soil. Um, and I was reading somewhere, I can't remember what it was, humus, not hummus, humus can actually hold 200 times its weight in water. It's, it's just crazy. Um, but good soil is that in which death has been completed and rot has reduced, now I'm talking about us, flesh to its elemental state. Christ produces the increase out of the humble and fertile soil. We are dead to self, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's the good news. I'm talking a lot about death today and about all of the things that death produces, but we also have to look at the other side, the life portion. Um, so sorry, I've probably been a little bit on the downside, but um, <clears throat> not entirely. <laughs> so what, what's the application here? Um, so we go back to those Latin phrases, low, on the ground, earth and soil. Humility, in essence, is the question of whether I am seeking God's will to be done over my will to be done. Um, it is not a doormat mentality, but instead, um, I'm not going to read the entirety of Philippians chapter 2, but notice how humility is brought out in this scripture. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others." Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or laid aside his privileges, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> Again, there's so much more in that chapter, but... We'll stop there. Um, so to bring it a little bit back to, you know, sometimes in application it helps to have a personal testimony. Um, for sake of time and also um, <laughs> those who could be incriminated, um, we won't talk about the details, but um, feel free to ask me about visions or goals that maybe I had for my life. Um, but I think the most profound Revelation has been about being a faithful servant in every aspect, whether that's before God, um, with my family, you know, my wife and her family and my extended family, um, also at my workplace, um, which is a place of maybe very friendly people, but not always friendly to the gospel. 
when my goal is no longer my exaltation or my defense, but contentment and joy regardless of the outcome. Then my life, by the death of the flesh, becomes humus for good soil. And then in that case, I'm trusting the master gardener to produce the increase. Um, Joanne, go ahead and whoever's joining you. Um, I asked the worship team to come back because the part that I couldn't stress very much because I didn't know how much time this would take, um, they sang about right at the end of worship. Um, But I'm going to bring out uh, a word from Oswald Chambers. Kind of funny, it just happened to be on Friday. Um, But it's bringing forth some aspects of humility and in concept and how we need to, how do I say, take this in thinking about the things that we envision or see for our lives and the ways that God might be trying to do something different than maybe we anticipate. Uh, This reading is entitled God's Purpose or Mine. We tend to think that if Jesus compels us to do something and we are obedient to him, he will lead us to great success. We should never have thought that our dreams of success are God's purpose for us. In fact, his purpose may be exactly the opposite. We have the idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or a desired goal, but he is not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance, and reaching it merely becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see as only the process of reaching a particular end, God sees as the goal itself. What is my vision of God's purpose for me? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power. If I can stay calm, faithful, and unconfused while in the middle of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. God is not working toward a particular finish. His purpose is the process itself. What he desires for me is that I see him walking on the sea with no shore, no success, nor goal in sight, but simply having absolute certainty that everything is all right because I see him walking on the sea. It is the process, not the outcome, that is glorifying to God. God's training is for now, not later. His purpose is for this very minute, not for some time in the future. We have nothing to do with what will follow our obedience, and we are wrong to concern ourselves with it. What people call preparation, God sees as the goal itself. God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now. If we have a further goal in mind, we are not paying enough attention to the present time. However, if we realize that moment by moment, obedience is the goal, then each moment, as it comes, is precious.
want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurch.com. Thank you.